you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 60. We've been in John chapter 6 now for several weeks, and John chapter 6 is a a tremendous passage, and it ends in uh, such a tremendous way uh, this morning. The title of the message is, When Kingdoms Collide, True Discipleship Revealed. And really what we're seeing here is, is actually kind of two kingdoms colliding. The kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of the world which man's heart is set on. And then there's the kingdom of God which those who truly are disciples of Christ, their heart is to be set on. Two weeks ago I, I mentioned two existing realities that were inherent in Jesus' teaching. And that was the temporal and the eternal, or the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, that which will pass away and that which will endure forever. And then I I said that Jesus' ministry is really grounded in this second reality, the kingdom of God. His mission is to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And in today's text, John turns his attention, Jesus turns his attention to his disciples. And this group of disciples, as we'll see in a moment, really is, uh, it, it consists of more than just true disciples. It also consists of those who are false disciples, or pseudo-disciples. And so this morning, I, I want us to see that true disciples must accept the words of Jesus as truth and believe in the person of Jesus as the incarnate one. So the true disciple accepts the words of Christ as the very truth of God and believes in the person of Christ that he is God the Son come down from heaven. A young boy went off to Sunday school. When he came home, his mother asked, What did you learn? Well, he said, We we heard a story about Moses. God sent him behind enemy lines to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians. When they got to the Red Sea, Moses consulted all of the Israelites and he asked for all the engineers to come forward and to build a pontoon so they could cross the Red Sea. They built the pontoon, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, and after Moses was looking back over the pontoon and he saw all of Pharaoh and his his men coming after them in, 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 in tanks... And quick as a flash, he, head, he walkie-talkied back to headquarters and said, send a, send a bunch of dive bombers to blow up the bridge. And so they did, and the Israelites were saved. His mother was quite surprised by the embellishment that she had heard from her son in sharing the story of how Moses had walked away or Moses had led God's people out of Israel. And she said, is that really what your teacher told you in the story? He said, well, not exactly. But if I told you the way she did, you'd never believe it. Now, that's the reality of what's happening for the disciples here. Those who have been following Jesus. He's told them the truth. But they just can't believe it. In fact, a quick recap of chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, shows that he feeds 5,000 or more by multiplying five bread, five loaves of bread and two fish. 
And then they wanted to come and they wanted to take him by force and make him king because they had found the one who could provide. And then we, we see just after that that Jesus sends his disciples across the sea, the twelve, and then he walks to meet them in the middle of the night in the midst of the storm and he calms their fears and he brings them safely to land. The next day the crowd in verse 22 comes looking for him. And when this crowd comes looking for him, this really begins the, the, the sermon that he is preaching that we walk through all the way to the end in verse 71. One message, one, one theme that it's being centered around. And that theme is that Jesus Christ is the living bread come down out of heaven to provide life for the world. And anyone, anyone who eats of this bread will live forever, will have eternal life. So this is a this is a message that Christ speaks to all those who are listening and following him and invites them to hear his word, hear this offer of the bread of life, hear this offer of eternal life and believe upon him. So if you found your place in John chapter six, verse 60, say amen. Follow along as I read. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was coming saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pause and pray. Father, as we have read your word and consider your word before us this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts to love your word, our minds to comprehend the truth of your word, and Lord, that you would grant us your strength by your Holy Spirit indwelling to live faithfully according to your word, to carry it out, to walk as true disciples, to confront sin in our life, to walk in the joy of knowing you, and to surrender to your grace and your joy, the joy that comes from walking in fellowship with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we approach this passage this morning, I, I think it's important for us to note that every follower of Jesus is called to discipleship. Every single person who calls themselves, their self, himself a, a Christian, he or she claims then to be a disciple of Jesus. 
Now, if this isn't our understanding of what it means to be a Christian, then we need to evaluate our definition of what it means to be a believer, a follower of Christ. But everyone who is a follower of Christ is called to a life of discipleship. That means walking with Christ and and following Him, submitting our lives to the truth of His Word, living in fellowship of a a corporate community of of saints, attending and, and being part of the fellowship of the body as we are this morning. It means participating in life together with other believers, and it means surrendering, surrendering all that we are to God's leadership in our lives. So the question might be asked, if we are disciples of Christ, then how are we characterized as disciples of Christ? Are we characterized as feeble, or would we be characterized as as faithful? Are we characterized as those who are Weak in our following, weak in our confession, weak in our profession of Christ? Or are we considered and characterized as as those who are faithful and uh, who are are strong in our conviction of Christ, who are uh, biblical in our understanding of Christ and of His Word and of our call to discipleship? So the first thing I, I want us to see in this passage, beginning in verse 60, is that discipleship requires more than hearing it requires more than hearing. In verses 60 to 62, we see this. First, we, we notice in verse 61, this is a difficult statement, he says. Verse 61, I'm sorry. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? The disciples' grumbling is really key to understanding what's happening. And last week, Drew shared about this word grumble. He shared the commenting that, that the Jews were grumbling and it was reminiscent of what was happening in the midst of the wilderness during the Exodus as the children of Israel were escaping from Egypt. And as they were going through the wilderness and wandering about, the children of Israel were, were grumbling. And their grumbling, he said, it, it reflected a, a lack of trust in God. And deep down, it reflects a, an unbelief. It, it reflects a heart of unbelief and not trusting God. That was at the heart of, of this grumbling for the Jews. But here in this text this morning, it's not just the Jews in the synagogue who were grumbling. But notice there's a new characterization for his disciples. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, it was them who were grumbling in verse 61. It was the disciples, those who were supposedly following Christ, who were grumbling. And so the question that we ask then is, who, who were these disciples? In verse 67, we're, uh, we're, we see the distinction between the 12 who were following Christ when, when Christ addressed them and Peter responded. And so we know that these disciples that he's speaking about here in verse 61, that they're the larger group who, who's following him. These are those who are religious adherents and followers of Jesus. The ones, who, uh, the, the ones who are attracted to Christ for what he can do for them, for the food, for the miracles, for the healing, uh, for the aspirations of political liberation from Rome back in, back in verse 15 of chapter 6. But as John presents the, the true portrait of discipleship according to Christ, we learn that it's, it's more than saying the right words. 
It's more than doing the right things or, or even being in the right place at the right time. True discipleship involves remaining in his word. Jesus would later say in chapter 8, verse 31 of John, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Or in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Any he who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, he can do nothing. You see, discipleship then has to do with obedience to Christ. It has to do with following the teachings of Christ and and decisiveness in commitment to Christ. True discipleship has to do with walking along Christ, along with Christ and hearing his words and and believing them. It It has more to do than just hearing the words of Christ. It has to do with believing. And so these disciples had encountered a problem similar to the one that many of us struggle with today. In fact, this this problem was that Christ's teaching removes self from the altar of life and it enthrones God in verses 60 and 62. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Really, there, there are two things I want us to see before we move, move on from this verse. The first one is that hearing the truth of Christ doesn't equate with accepting the message of Christ. I think it's, it's obvious here in verse 60 when he says that when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? It's the same verb for heard and listen, and it requires an acceptance, not just a hearing, but it requires an acceptance in one's life to to really accept, to trust, to believe. And so hearing the truth of Christ doesn't equate with accepting the message. In fact, they said this is a hard saying or a hard teaching. And when he says this, it it reflects back over all of chapter 6, Really beginning in, in verse 1, when he did this, he performed this sign of multiplying the bread in order that he might teach them on this bread of life discourse about the significance of him being the life-giving bread. But in verse 32, in chapter 6, Jesus says, My Father gives you true bread out of heaven. And in verse 33, he goes on to say, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. In verse 35, he made made the definitive claim, I am the bread of life. Verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him, will have eternal life. And he continues in verse 51 saying, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And he goes on to say, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And in verse 56, he yet continues, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. You see, this is the hard teaching, the hard saying that they're referencing and speaking about in this passage. 
This is what the disciples are having trouble hearing. Jesus' claim is unmistakable. It's an unavoidable claim. And for these disciples that are at this moment hearing and seeing this man make these claims and, 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 and give these teachings, there are really two kingdoms that are colliding within. And they're about to make a choice between either the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And so Jesus, conscious of their grumbling in verse 61, he asked them that very hard question. Does this cause you to stumble when they hear it? I want you to think about that for a moment. This is a hard question for them to answer. Does this cause you to stumble? In their minds, they're thinking, you bet this causes us to stumble. I mean, this guy's committing blasphemy. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be greater than Moses the prophet. He's claiming to be better and bigger than all the... He's claiming to be the very one that can give us eternal life. We know this man. He was born of Joseph and Mary. Yet he's making these outrageous, outlandish claims. Does this cause you to stumble? He asked them. Literally, that word is its scandal. Does this cause you offense? Does this offend you? Does it bring you to a point of anger? He's asking them. I think it's a question that we must ask of ourselves as we, in, as we encounter Christ's teaching, as we read through all of Scripture. It's a question we must deal with internally. Does the truth of God's revelation, His Word, cause us to grumble deep down? Does it cause us to stumble as we read and, and hear the truth of God's word, as we seek to apply it in our lives, does it offend us? Does, does God's word anger us? I think about this in respect to the, the roles in our daily lives, because that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? As, as husbands, think about it for a moment. Husbands, what are you called to do? Ephesians 5, you're called to die to self for the, the good of the bride, to serve her. We're called to, like Christ, wash her with the washing of the water with the word. I mean, we are called to, to serve our wives, husbands. This is a selfless service, uh, a selfless love. It's a, a love that gives all for the sake of making certain that our wives are, are, are nourished and nurtured and cherished and or maybe for the roles of, of wives. Right? What, what, are, what are wives called to do? Well, they're called in Ephesians 5 to, to submit to their husband as unto the Lord. It's a dirty word today, submit, right? That's not, a, that's not a pleasant word for our culture. But as we consider the, the truth of, of Scripture, we, we recognize how God has 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 created us and then called us to walk in, in fellowship with Him and to walk in His good and, and perfect design. And when we're walking in His good and perfect design, then we are walking with contentment and joy in Christ of, of being right in our relationship with Him. For children, children like to be submissive and obedient to your parents. They like to listen to everything they say and do as they say. Sometimes, not always. Right? 
here's the thing. The, the calling of God in our lives is that we would be submissive to his word and submissive to his design. Even think about the role of parents, even in the responsibilities we have in parenting, how we are called as parents to, we, we are entrusted with this responsibility. And oftentimes, parents, you might find yourself grumbling over what children are doing, not understanding how to raise them. What, what, what do we need to do? Not knowing where to turn. And we recognize this need to turn to Christ and turn to his word and submit ourselves to God, submit ourselves to his word. In verse 62, they, they couldn't accept this truth. Jesus, in fact, asked them, he says, What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? If they couldn't accept this truth now, how much more when they see him ascending to where he was before? In other words, the journey of his ascension begins with the cross. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, states, What is from one perspective the lowest stage in the servant's humiliation is from another, the first stage in his being exalted and lifted up and made very high. You know, this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians one twenty three says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, a scandal, to the Gentiles foolishness. This idea is the truth of Christ confronts us where we are. And it causes many to stumble causes us to look deep and to see who's on the altar, the throne in our life. Is it self? Is it my kingdom? Is it God's kingdom? Which kingdom am I walking in? Which kingdom am I, am I serving? In John 3.13, Jesus already has alluded to this idea of his ascending. And, and he says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, speaking about him going to the cross and beginning this ascension. And so in verse 61 and 62, he's saying, is this causing you to stumble? What about when you see me go to the cross? When you see me die in this way? the Messiah, the supposed king of the Jews, or the supposed promised one of Christ. What about when you see me die on the cross and that humiliation? Will that, will that cause you to stumble? The reality for us is much like the disciples who were following Christ. As we travel the road of discipleship with Christ, we'll encounter difficult teaching. We'll, we'll encounter things that confront our sin, and they call us to make a choice between which kingdom we're walking in, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. See, this discipleship really is a call to submission. It's a call to trusting in Christ and submitting ourselves to Christ. But secondly, in verse 63, we see that this truth is accepting and believing in Christ is a gift of God. Accepting and believing in Christ is a gift of God. I want to explain what I mean first before I go any further. The idea of accepting and believing are both important. 
for the disciples, you hear this question that they raise in verse uh, verse 60. When they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Accepting has to do with hearing the message of Christ and trusting it and it becoming part of the fabric of who we are as disciples, as believers. And then believing has to do with trusting in the person of who Christ has revealed himself to be, which is critically important for the life of every disciple. And so in verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, life comes by the Spirit through the word of Christ. Life comes through the Spirit by the Word of Christ. You know, and this really is the invitation to delight in Christ and to obey His Word. One commentator said, when Christ's words are understood and absorbed, they bring life. And that's the truth. This is the truth, that that His words are spiritual, life-giving food. In fact, in Jeremiah 15, 16, the prophet Jeremiah says, speaking to God, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. It was D.A. Carson that said it this way. One cannot feed on Christ without feeding on Christ's words. For truly believing Jesus cannot be separated from truly believing Jesus' words. Human beings live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Deuteronomy 8.3. The identical claim is now made for the words of Jesus precisely because He is the Word incarnate. So there is this invitation by Christ to come and to hear and to heed his words. It is the spirit who gives life. The words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. The question we should consider as we look at this passage is, are we feasting? Are we truly feasting on Christ's words? As we read scripture, as we submit our lives to Christ, is Christ's word important? Is it formative in our, in our walk with him, in our discipleship? Or, or are we just reading and dismissing and going about our daily lives, living for ourselves or living in our own kingdom? There's a sharp distinction made between spirit and, and flesh here in verse 63. The spirit gives life, but the flesh, it profits nothing. I think it parallels this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus early in John chapter 3, where Nicodemus comes to him at night and asks him a question. And Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, the reality is that which is born by the Holy Spirit is, are those who have eternal life. But the flesh, it profits us nothing. In other words, to make the flesh the goal of life fails to comprehend the eternal 
offer of eternal life through Christ by the Spirit. The crowd of disciples were with him as long as he met their physical needs. But when he began challenging their spiritual condition, they didn't have any room for his words. And I think many today are like the false disciples that we see in this passage, wanting Jesus who heals sickness, wanting a Jesus who provides food and material blessings, wanting a a Jesus who delivers us from our enemies, even even as a nation, we still have this, this phrase, right? One nation under God, or in God we trust. That's often where it stops. It often stops there. Our flesh wants to dismiss the call to sacrificial and submissive living. Many really don't want the Jesus that eradicates sin and calls us to live holy lives. And the truth is that left to ourselves, we really want the Jesus of religionists who, 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 who allow and permit our laxity, but really we are able to neglect his word. It was Martin Luther that said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. You see, Jesus is saying, life comes by the Spirit through the word of Christ. The flesh Prophets, nothing. But I want you to see also that Jesus wasn't surprised by the false disciples' rejection. In verses 64 and 65, he wasn't surprised by the false disciples' rejection of him. In fact, in verse 64, he confronts their unbelief by saying, but there are some of you who do not believe. It says, for he knew from the beginning who they were, who didn't believe, and who it was who would betray him. And the truth is, those who reject Christ reject God's provision for salvation because they don't accept his truth and they don't believe he is who he claims to be. And so they are responsible for unbelief. And I would say this morning, if there's anyone here who finds himself in a place of unbelief, not truly trusting that Christ is who he says he is, then you too are responsible for unbelief. Because he knew from the beginning who they were who didn't believe. And verse 65 says, He was saying, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. The reason refers to unbelief for this reason, because of their unbelief. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. You know, even in, even in preparation, I wrestled with this verse. Not, not because I, I don't believe what it says, because I do, but because it's a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching, isn't it? We read this verse and read what Jesus is saying. No one can come to me. Unless it's been granted him from the Father. That's a hard teaching. It's a hard truth. Jesus brings us unapologetically face to face with the sovereignty of God and man's salvation. In fact, he couldn't be clearer with his words. It's man's approach to want to walk the the peaceful way and wanting ourselves to draw all men to Christ. 
that we must recognize and confess that it's a work of God alone to draw men to Christ, to grant that men and women, man and woman, will hear and accept and believe upon Christ's truth. So we, we see this wonderful gift of God, faith in Christ, birthed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of Christ, by the sovereign hand of God, granting salvation to those whom the Father draws. And in verses 64 and, and 65, there's this tension that's held. It's a tight tension that's held for us between God's sovereignty and, and man's responsibility in rejecting means we, as believers, take great comfort and joy in the words of Christ, knowing that it's by the grace of God that we, we've accepted Christ's message and, and believed upon Christ as God the Son, the incarnate one. It also means for those who are not yet true disciples of Christ, everyone, you, you must respond to Christ's teaching The question is, will you accept the truth of Christ's word? Does it make us grumble? Does it make us stumble? If you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you this morning and and God granting faith to believe, then you must repent and, and believe, for it isn't by the flesh that anyone can gain eternal life, but it's by the Spirit that we gain eternal life. third truth I think we see in this passage, beginning in verse 66, is something that I call the great divide in discipleship with Christ in this passage. And that is to say we see a a great divide in the discipleship journey for these who are following. Because when these two kingdoms collide, many walk away, but those to whom it's been granted will Follow In verse 66, he says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They simply walked away. They quit walking in discipleship or quit walking after him. I think it's important for us to understand this, that rejecting Christ's words leads to abandonment of Christ and rejection of God. I made the distinction there because we need to see that abandonment of Christ is rejection of God. And that's exactly what he's communicating to them when they reject him and reject his words, his teaching, his truth. Then they are rejecting God. One of the modern uh, one of the modern movements, modern day movements that have really given kind of an they have exemplified this rejecting of of Christ is is the uh, the Jesus seminar. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but the Jesus seminar was organized in 1985, really as a quest to recover the historical Jesus. And what they were wanting to do is is to bring a report back of all the research that they had uh, that they had gathered to the general public. The goal of the seminar was to review each of the sayings and deeds that were attributed to Christ throughout his Gospels and to determine which of them could be considered authentic. Thirty scholars took up the challenge in the initial meeting at Berkeley, California, but eventually more than 200 
uh, professionally trained specialists came together to be called fellows and join the group. The fellows of the Jesus Seminar really represent a wide array of, of religious Western traditions and academic institutions. And so they've been trained throughout universities, and they come together and converge on this topic to decide what is actually authentic within the Gospels. The seminar met twice a year to debate technical papers, and at the close of the debate of each, on each agenda item, the fellows would vote using colored beads to indicate which degree of authenticity they believe the words and deeds attributed to Christ in the Gospels carried. And so as they would discuss a phrase, uh, they would discuss words of Jesus, they would pass these baskets and they would use a colored bead which indicate whether they strongly agreed or somewhat agreed or were neutral or just strongly disagreed. And they would go through and they would do this. And in, in the findings, get this, the findings of the Jesus Seminar found that 18% of the sayings, and 16% of the deeds attributed to Christ in the Gospels were authentic. The rest of them, they said, it's not authentic. We can't trust it. These aren't truly the words of Christ. I think we need to ask the question as we approach a passage such as this, and seeing these two kingdoms collide, the kingdom of God and the, the kingdom of man, Does this make you stumble? Does the truth of Christ make us stumble? We certainly know that it makes those who are anti-Christ stumble. Those who don't believe in Christ, we know that they would stumble over this. But what about us in our everyday lives as disciples of Christ? Does Does this make us stumble? Believer, do you find yourself grumbling against God as you read his word and apply it in your life? Or do you find yourself embracing God's word with joy? In a moment, we'll see Peter's response that I think is tremendous to to see how he embraces Christ with joy. But what we see here is these disciples coming to a place and making a decision whether or not they will believe or reject Christ. And if rejecting Christ's words lead to abandonment and abandonment of Christ and rejection of God, then we see that believing Christ's words leads to eternal life. We see it in verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, he turns his attention. The, The picture is that probably all have just walked away. All of the crowd that was gathered there who were calling themselves disciples have at this point just walked away. And you've got the 12 left. And so he turns to the 12 and he asks the 12 a question. You don't want to leave too, do you? And as he asked this question, I love Peter's response because Peter's response shows the heartbeat of true discipleship. Simon answered, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That is to say, Peter has learned that Christ truly is the one who has the words of eternal life. There isn't another. And while he may not understand all of the implications of what Christ has been teaching in the bread of life discourse, what he does know is that Christ is the one who he can come to. 
He does know that Christ is the one who holds salvation and has come from God. In verse 68 or 69, he says, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have believed and come to know these two verbs. They, 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 they have this, this idea of, of complete dependence on Christ and, and on spiritual birth and, and this trust that is deep down, that is rock solid. They have believed and they have come to know that He is the Holy One of God. They trust. They trust in what He has said. They've accepted His Word and they have believed upon His person. They have come to know that He is from God. Peter is the one who speaks as the spokesman for the twelve. But even Peter's eyes were blinded from the one who was in their midst who was a betrayer. And so as we consider the the call of discipleship and and true discipleship and what it means, I think we need to see this call to in, enduring faith. Jesus answered and said, Did I myself not, not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he was speaking about, uh, about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. But you see, we have this contrasting picture of Peter's response and then the foreshadowing of what will come by Judas, the betrayer. And the call of enduring faith is one that we must see and hear in this passage. We have somewhat of a warning here at at the end to to see the one who will betray Christ, Judas, one of the twelve, one of his closest men. But because of a hardness of heart and a, a desire for self, Judas became the tool that was used in the hand of Satan to oppose and to subvert the work of Christ. We must recognize how Satan works. We must be vigilant in, vigilant in our own lives to guard against sin and a, against a critical spirit. In fact, we could think to Peter's confession of Christ in the Synoptic Gospels when he was later addressed by similar words describing the betrayer here. When Jesus looked at him and Peter stood between Jesus and the cross and Jesus looked at him and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so we would do well to heed the warning, even as faithful disciples of Christ, to be submissive in our walk with Christ, to hear and to heed the word of Christ, to follow Christ. You know, as we travel the road of discipleship with Christ, we're going to encounter difficult teachings. We're going to encounter and confront sin in our life and have to make a choice between His kingdom or our kingdom. And when we choose to follow and walk in His kingdom, we'll find that as we embrace the things of God and and embrace God's kingdom, no matter how difficult the struggle is to relinquish in our own kingdom, we'll experience the contentment and joy in Christ that far surpasses the false contentment that the world offers. 
I would ask us this morning to consider, are we feasting on the words of Christ in our daily life? The true bread of life as he has revealed himself to be, knowing that life comes by the spirit through the word of Christ and not by the flesh. And lastly, I'd like to ask us to consider when faced with the question, does this make you stumble? Do you find yourself answering like Peter? Lord, I don't get it, but to whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, I'm not sure this next step, but there's nowhere else I can turn. You're the only one. There is no other. We would reply like Peter, we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We challenge us this morning in our own lives when these two kingdoms collide. Are we walking in the kingdom of God? Are we walking as true disciples of Christ? Are we walking in our own strength, in our own kingdom, in the flesh? The spirit, the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Let us be like the 12 disciples who declare, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I want to challenge you this morning as you consider your own walk and discipleship with Christ. That you surrender to him in all things. That we hold nothing back. Maybe this morning, if, you, if you've not surrendered to Christ at all in your life, and you've not, you're not a believer in Christ, you're not a true disciple, and you sense the Lord is leading you and drawing you, I want to encourage you this morning to surrender. Surrender to Christ's drawing in your life. Surrender to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and drawing you to the Father by the Spirit through the word of Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you to meditate and to think upon the truth of your word, I pray that you would continue to challenge us and grip our hearts to walk with you, to walk in obedience and to walk in the the joy of you, our master. I pray, Lord, that you would Give us the strength today to respond. Lord, I pray that you would keep our eyes and our minds from stumbling over the truth of your word, but help us, God, to embrace it and to trust in you. And Father, for those who are not true disciples of yours, I pray that you would open their eyes to see their need, to see their desire to come and to partake of the bread of life, to believe upon you and to have life through the Spirit. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?